0: Good morning, Veritas. Glad you've joined us this morning to worship and open God's word together. Uh, as Jeff said last week, I had to have him preach on Thanksgiving. I lost my voice. Uh, God put me in a little time out. And so uh, yeah, it's hard when your job is to, is to speak when you can't you know, have a voice. So uh, yeah, thankful uh, for, for God's healing in that. So, uh, but this morning, we're continuing our Advent uh, series talking about hope this morning. And I have a question for you. Have you ever met someone that has too much hope? Ever met someone that has too much hope? Like, ah, you're a little too much. I'm a little worried for you because you have too much hope. Well, uh, maybe it's a kid who asks for uh, a little pony for Christmas, and you're thinking, like, my little pony? I don't know if they still have those, but they're thinking they're going to get a real pony. Uh, you might think that kid has a little too much hope. Uh, maybe it's it's someone that you're talking to. They're like, hey, I'm really feeling the lottery this time. Got some good feelings. Got a lot of hope. So I put, you know, spent $10,000 on lottery tickets because I'm just, I got a lot of hope. Like, I think you might have too much hope, right? Uh, there's a lot of money to be made on people with too much hope, right? You guys seen the, all the betting apps and commercials for, I mean, betting is a huge thing right now. So there's a lot of money to be made on false hope. People with with hope, maybe uh, maybe last week you you met a hawk friend, who's like, I'm I'm betting the over on this one. You know, I'm sure we're gonna get a field goal or a defensive touchdown or something like that. Like, I'm sure it's gonna happen. And you're like, ah, a lot of hope. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of this, but the hope we're talking about is is a different kind of hope, and this is a this is the Christian hope. It's not. We're not talking about a circumstantial or temporal hope or wishful thinking, like I'm I'm feeling the odds are good. Uh, I mean the kind of hope that can look at everything that's happening in the world, they can look at the worst news and be like, "No, it's okay. It's all good. We're gonna get through this." Like that, because they have a hope that transcends the circumstances. That's the kind of hope we need. I think. I think most of you here have hope, or if you don't have hope, you're like, well, that's why I came. Uh, You're in the right place. But I think Christians are a people of hope, but we could always use a little more of it. I think we could use a little more of the the right kind of hope. And here's what Christmas is. I think Christmas is an annual hope revival. It's like an annual reminder of the hope that we have. Like, yes, into the, for the people living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. That's, that's why we're here this morning, because that light of hope has dawned. And so here, the question would be: uh, if you're, where in scripture would you go if you wanted to talk to someone about hope? Like, here's, here's the scripture I wanna take you to. It's like a hope scripture. Where would you take them? The chapter that I want you to think of when you think hope, like pull out the little file in your brain that says hope. I want you to pull out First Corinthians 15. Never forget this is the hope chapter, and I'll never forget where I was the first time I heard First Corinthians 15, which we're going to open to. Uh, I was it was a small town Iowa and a small Methodist church, and it was at my grandfather's funeral, and I remember the pastor, the minister's name was Abel Roy. He read these verses. And I thought, wow, that is hope. That is is awesome. And it's 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just going to read the last few verses, 54 through 57. It says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory where death is your victory where death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ this is this is the hope we have and as a 16 year old hearing this for the first time I remember how strange this passage was because it it felt, it seemed like, it's, what stuck out to me is like, wait a minute, is, is Paul like talking smack to death? Is he taunting death? That's what it sounds like. Where, death, is your victory? Like provoking death with insults. Like that's all you got? Where's your sting, death? And that's, uh, that's exactly what Paul's doing. And there's two reasons this morning that we have hope. And the first thing he says is, he says, death, where's your sting? He says death is like a bee that's buzzing around, like a hornet. And the thing about this hornet called death is that the stinger has been removed. And so if the stinger's been removed, like it's got nothing left. And so death is like this hornet that's flying around, but it, it can't hurt us, it has no stinger. And, and he's saying, Where, where's your sting? Well, what's the stinger that has been removed that makes us unafraid of death. What is the stinger? He, he, he says this in verse 56. He says, the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. So what he's saying is our death problem is a sin problem. Like the, the, the death problem isn't just like it's a struggle against you know, pollution, and cancer, and bacterias, and viruses, and infections. Like, that's all bad, but but underneath that, it's it's deeper than that. It's a sin problem. Have you ever asked the question, why do people have to die? You know, when you look at death, nothing says that the world is not like it should be more than death. And why do people die? Paul, he explains it. He's saying here, well, the sting of death, it's, it's about sin. He explains this in Romans six twenty-three. He says, the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is, right? A wage, like you go to work and you get a paycheck. And it's like you earned it. That's your wage. Like the paycheck is your wage. And Paul's saying, that's how it is with sin. Like you go in and you go to work all week and you sin. And what do you get as a wage for your sin? It's death. That's at the root of the death problem is it's a sin problem. I mean, this is on page one, right? The Don't eat from that tree or you will surely die. Rebellion against God brings death. And, and then he says here in verse 56 here, the power of sin is the law. What does he mean by that? He, what he's saying here is that guilt and condemnation... Are what comes from being a sinner because we're a we're lawbreakers. We're all lawbreakers. Like there's there's like this transcendent moral law that God created, and when we violate that, it condemns us, and we feel guilty for what we've done. And that's the power. What's what he means when he says the power of sin is the law. Have you guys ever? been around somebody who's dying. I've been with them, and one of the most common uh, emotions or experiences for someone who's dying is this feeling of regret. This this need to say, "I'm sorry." And maybe you felt that if you've been with that person who's dying because you felt your own, there's this sense of, as someone nears death, this sense of like, wow, there's some things I need to say. I need to say sorry. You know, why is it like sorry that I wasn't the son that I should have been? I wasn't as thankful for my mom and dad as I should have been. I wasn't as obedient as I should have been. I, I wasn't the the husband that I should have been. I wasn't the dad that I should have been or the friend or the coworker, or whatever, you know. And and we, there's a reason that we feel that way. There's a reason we feel that we've fallen short. Because we have. Right? We have fallen short. And there's the, that's the power of sin is the law. He's saying we've all fallen short and, yeah, there's we, we feel that. So, what makes death frightening is that I've done bad things, and I know that I'm accountable for that. I'm going to have to give an account. And so, so the sting is sin, guilt, death, and Jesus removed that stinger. But how did he do it? How did he remove the sting of sin, guilt, and death? I want it For that, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And this is a great Christmas passage. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it's clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. Let's explain this. Uh, this is an incredible, incredible Christmas passage because it explains why Jesus had to be born why he had to come to earth, and he says it there, that he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way to make atonement for the sins of the people. One of the things, if you're a Christian, here's a word that you might wanna know the definition to. It's this word he uses here, atonement. Do you know what atonement is? How would you explain that to someone? This is this is such a, a critical word. Do you remember in the Old Testament, uh, they, the priests would offer these sacrifices. So you have lambs, bulls, goats, doves, uh, these, these sacrifices, and people would, would bring the sacrifices and the priests would, would offer them. There's a lot of blood in the Old Testament. Well, Why? Because this was for atonement. And atonement, it's the idea that the blood represents the payment for sin. The payment for sin. So Jesus is the atoning sacrifice he's both the priest that offers the sacrifice to god and he's also the sacrifice he is the lamb who took the sin of the world he atonement means that somebody had to pay the price for the sin and jesus absorbs our sin on his body on the cross is buried and is raised from the dead. That's what atonement is. Somebody had to pay the price. Like If somebody committed a horrific crime against you that completely changed your life, ruined your life, and and they came to you and are like, "Eh, well, about that, I'm kind of sorry, and they just want to carry on with their life, and you're like, well, actually, somebody needs to pay for this. For justice to be done, there has to be payment. You know, like the sins of the world. uh, It's not like, you know, think about this, like a kid, uh, your kid makes a mess of their room. Like there's toys, Legos everywhere. Uh, And and you're like, you clean your room if you want to use electronics. And so they go in and they clean their room. You're like, wow, that was fast. Took you like five minutes. And you go up and look and you're like, it looks pretty clean. But then you open the closet door, you know, and everything falls out. Like, did that person, did your child solve the mess problem? Did they clean their room? No. They just rearranged it. They just moved the mess from here to there. Like, with God, what's he going to do with all the sin of the world? Just kind of sweep it under the rug and call himself a holy, just God? No. He has to solve the sin problem with Death. That's why Jesus had to come. To take upon himself what you deserved, what I deserved. That's what Hebrews 2 is explaining. To make atonement for the sins of the people. So the first point about hope is that we have hope because our punishment was put on Jesus. The sting of death has been removed because of Jesus, because he was born And it says there in Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says, Jesus also shared in our humanity, why? So that he could become a merciful high priest. You know the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and and, and there's a line in it that says, mild he lays his glory by. What does that mean? What? What does it mean that he lays his glory by? It, it's saying that, that Jesus set aside his glory, the glory of heaven and who he is. And he became, and it says, why is it mild he lays his glory by? What is it, have you met someone who's gentle? They're not harsh. How do you describe them? They're mild-mannered, right? They're, that's, that's what it's saying about Jesus, that, that mild he lays his glory by. Like, he came, he set aside his glory, and he became this gentle, loving person. And the God of the universe needed to be born helpless in a manger, born to a peasant family. Why? Hebrews 2.14, it says to show himself merciful. Isn't that cool? To show himself merciful. You know, a lot of us struggle with feeling like we failed so badly. We can never be forgiven. We might feel like just, I've, I'm so unworthy. I've made a mess of my life. And so we're afraid to, to share what we've done, to confess, because we're worried about God, we're worried about maybe what other people think. I just read a, read an article recently about a a guy on his deathbed that confessed to his his wife and his daughter that that he was on the most wanted list because of a crime he committed when he was like in college, robbed a bank, millions of dollars, never found this guy, and. On his death, he felt the need to share that. Why? It's like, I need to get this out. But I, your whole life, you spent, you're spent spending fear that I can't share this because it's gonna lead to my condemnation. But the, the opposite is true, that Jesus is merciful and he, he came as a baby. He was born in a manger because he wants you to know that he came for you. He came in mercy. Like if you were to come talk to me and you felt the need to confess your sin to me, uh, you don't, because I'm not your mediator between, between you and God, but, but if you did, you're like, I, I, need, I kinda wanna share like sin that I'm struggling with, and you share with me, what would you expect? Like, you might be afraid to, to share, like, I don't think he's ready for that, but I've, I've heard it all, I guarantee, and, and so you, you share. And what if I'm like, you did what? I can't believe that. Like, you're a terrible person. You, you'd be like, I was kind of hoping you'd give me some mercy, right? No, you would get mercy. You would get mercy from me. You wouldn't get that. But think about this: Jesus is more merciful than the most merciful person you've ever met on earth. Like if you confess your sin to me, I'd be like, oh, I would preach the gospel to you. I would remind you that you are loved, you're accepted by God, and there's good news, and I'm, you know, and you would get mercy. But with Jesus, it's even more. Isn't that crazy to think about Jesus being this merciful high priest? And so when you sing, mild he lays his glory by in this song, you're declaring, I am not beyond his reach. He has saved the worst of sinners. He's removed the sting of sin and guilt. And this last part is the second reason we have hope is because he's removed the death part as well. Look at verses, uh, back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. He says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Then the saying that is written will take place. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Like the saying hasn't yet taken place, but it will, it will when you get to heaven. When Jesus comes back, this saying will take place. I love this. He quotes Hosea about death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Uh, but, But it hasn't happened yet. This whole you being clothed with immortality hasn't happened yet. I think it's a good thing to remember about hope that there's a prerequisite for hope. Like something you have to have to have hope is that, There's something you're waiting for. There's something that you don't yet have that you're waiting for. Like, remember in in Romans 8 where Paul says, you don't hope for what you already have. And Think about this. People in heaven don't have hope. They have no hope in heaven. You know why? They don't need it. They have what they've been waiting for, Jesus. They're in the presence of Jesus. It's right in front of you. What are you gonna need hope for in heaven when you have what you've been longing for? I mean, think about it. You don't don't hope for a new car if you just are driving one off the lot and you just got it, right? You don't hope to get married someday if you just got married yesterday, You don't hope to have a child if you just had a child, right? Like, the the people with hope are the people who are waiting and longing and are like, oh, I can't wait for that. And the thing that we are longing for, Paul says, is a new body, is immortality. So the second point here is that we have hope because we're waiting for our new body. And I think it's important to remember, at Christmas, Jesus took on a body. This is what makes Christianity different from all the other religions where, you know, it's just like philosophy, a philosophy or good ideas or love as a concept. No, Jesus became a human, a man, and he took on a body. And that's why we sing the line, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead sea. What that's saying is, it's like, he's, it's like God is veiled, is covered in this flesh, and it's like the Godhead sea. Like, look, don't miss it. There's God in the manger. And then he was crucified at Passover. He was raised on that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. And this is a reminder to us, the reason I'm emphasizing this, the humanity of Jesus and Christmas is that Christmas reminds us that Christianity, it's not a sentimental hope that's based on wishful thinking. It's not like a Hallmark movie kind of hope, right? It's not the hope for, um, you know, this perfect holiday season with the family sitting on a table and eating this perfect meal and the presents are are just perfectly organized under the tree and everyone's dressed up in their sweaters and it always ends with a kiss. No, that's not our hope. Our hope is not like, have yourself a merry little Christmas. We'll see you at New Year's. No, it's, it's deeper than that. Our hope is a historical fact. It's the rock solid truth and life changing reality that Jesus Christ was born was crucified, and was raised on the third day. This is not wishful thinking. This is deep assurance. And you don't, you don't have hope this morning because you feel hope. You have hope because it's true. We're really like, Mark, why are you a Christian? It's not because I come on Sunday mornings and I get this good feeling when I sing. No people that place big bets have good feelings. But our hope is based on the truth of the incarnation, the coming of Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection. So a lot of us this morning are staring at some very terrible hard circumstances. And sometimes it feels like the darkness of the world is winning. And some of us, like I had this this past week where I had this like thought come into my mind that's like something bad's gonna happen. Something really bad's gonna happen. And then it's just like, you know the feeling where you're just like overcome with like, oh no, something bad's gonna happen. And and some of you like wake up every morning and you feel that. Like you're sick, you're dying, you're, all is lost. Everything's falling apart. And it's the fear and anxiety it's just can be crippling, right? We've, we've all experienced that. And so what do we do when we don't feel hope? How do we apply this? It's like, okay, I know it's true, even when I don't feel it. And some of you are like, well, actually, it's not just a feeling. Like, I actually know the prognosis. I know what I have. I know how broken this relationship is, and it's really bad. It's not just that I perceive it that way. No, it is is reality. What is the world's solution? Well, hey, distract yourselves with some more shopping. Maybe that will help. Entertainment. Place another bet. Move on to a new relationship. See, this morning, church, we need a revival of hope, like the real kind of hope. And so, by way of application to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is looking at death. He's looking at the hope that he has. And he's looking at this hornet that's buzzing around him called death. And what does he do? What's his response? He starts taunting death. He starts provoking death with insults. Like, come on, death, where's your sting? What are you gonna do? Is this all you got? So, how, what is the best way to provoke someone with insulting remarks? If you really wanna do this, how do you do it? And I know you know the answer to this question because most of you have been middle school, high school students. What, did, what, do, what does your team do when you wanna insult the other team? that's losing, that you're beating. You come up with a good chant, right? So I think we need some good chants. Let's just come up with some good chants. And, you know, like, air ball, air ball, right? Or you can't stop us, and, or start the bus, or whatever the insult is as we're winning the game. Like, we need a Christian version of that, don't we? Like, come together on Sundays and just taunt death together. Some good chants, but even better than chants is if you can put it to song. And then it's like, we will, we will rock you. You know, you get a whole auditorium, arena singing that. Or we are the champions. Like that's what we do when we don't want to taunt the other team, right? So what's the Christian version of that? Well, I've got good news because some of our best death taunt songs are the Christmas carols that we pull out once a year when we really want to boast about the hope that we have. And so... This, you know, and these aren't like chestnuts roasting on an open fire or all I want for Christmas is you. We're not talking about nostalgia. We're talking about Jesus came and demolished sin and death and Satan. And so here's the third thing we need to do by way of application this morning. Put hope into action with worship. And my special request is to sing the great Christmas carols that have been handed down to us over the generations, and one of the best all-time death, Christmas death taunt songs is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And what does that line even mean? Who is? What does hark mean? Uh, hark, listen up, pay close attention. Because Harold is singing. Wait, who's Harold? I don't know. I'd like the Herald. Who's Harold? Uh, Hark, listen up, pay close attention. The Herald, angels. A a Herald is an official messenger with good news. Here's a Herald. You're cancer free. Here's a, a Herald of good news, like I love you and we're going to make it and i'm never going to leave you You're like oh good like that's good news we're going to make it well this these are angelic messengers telling you to listen up because they've got good news born that man no more may die isn't that amazing like jesus came so you don't ever have to face death Born to raise the sons of earth, us, humans, in our flesh, with our broken voices, he came to give us second birth, to be born again, and to live with this hope of resurrection. And as these people get baptized, that's the symbol of the water is that they're buried with Christ through baptism into death. They go underwater as a symbol of being buried with Christ, this union with him in his death, but they are not left underwater. They're brought out, Romans 6, as a symbol of walking in the newness of life and being united with him in his resurrection from the dead. That is the hope that we have. So we're going to end with singing as these people are getting baptized because hopeful people are singing people. And I'm not asking you to sing this morning because you feel it and you got great news about your health. No, I'm asking you to sing, not because you feel hope, but because you have hope, because you know hope. And hope is the person Jesus. And we long for him. That's the hope that we have. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would just bring a hope revival that as the people of Veritas sing over or into the darkness, as their voice rings out through the darkness, Let that flicker of hope inside of us just become a fire that burns and just flood our souls with hope. Let hope rise up. God, as we watch these people get baptized, let it remind us of our baptisms, of of our conversion to Jesus. And when hope first entered our lives and God, if there are people here that just, they don't have hope, as as we worship and as they witness these baptisms, let them come to Jesus and just break into their world with hope. If that's you this morning, just come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and you are my only hope. I trust you. I transfer my trust to you just as we worship, give your life to Jesus. Jesus, we long for your appearing, so come quickly, we pray. Amen.